0: Welcome back to Fully Equipped, J-Wall, RB, Uncle Gene, serial killer, the whole crew. Boys, it's great to see your smiling faces. We got a lot to talk about this week. Have a couple of fantastic Fully Equipped hotline voicemails and an interview with Bettinardi president, Sam Bettinardi. But I want to kick things off with something that just came across the newswire. It was announced that Karsten Solheim who is the founder of Ping golf is going to be inducted into the, into the sporting goods industry hall of fame. Now, first off, there are a lot of hall of fames out there. I just want to make that known right away. Didn't even know there was a sporting goods industry hall of fame, but it has some interesting inductees. One of them, in addition to, to Karsten is uh bike Thompson, who's he had 40 years at Rawlings and Rawlings is, you know, the, the, baseballs and the gloves. So there are some luminaries on this list, but Carson, for obvious reasons, I want to discuss this with you. So everybody, I should say everybody, that's not true. Not everybody knows the history of of Carson Solheim. So Carson founded Ping. He was building putters out of his garage. He came up with the answer putter, which is, I would say, like a top Maybe two or three, maybe number one most influential designs in the equipment industry. Um, also came up with the Ping Eye irons, which were perimeter weighted irons that are you know everywhere in within the industry. But it got me thinking: who would you put on a golf equipment route, Mount Rushmore? Because Carson's got to be on there, but who else would you have? I mean, is there anyone more relevant than Karsten? Like that's the
1: that's the hard thing when it comes to this. I mean, uh, the only other person that I could think of from a an, an overall standpoint would be um, Ely Callaway, which would be one. Um, and then also, um, oh man, I'm trying to remember his name now. I just blanked on it. But the the guy who came up with like the X-ray Titleist golf balls at of Kushnet originally. I think to me, there was definitely a shift in the way that modern equipment technology has evolved because of that. But I think, you know, Mount Rushmore could be Karsten Solheim and others, if I'm being honest, when it comes to golf equipment, because of the cavity back and the answer putter and perimeter weighting, basically the idea of creating something that is more forgiving. But uh, I mean... I, I would like to I'm, – I'm going to see this over to Gene because I think he's going to be a little bit more knowledgeable in this than I am other
2: than like being very <laughs> complimentary of, of Karsten. Well, uh, you know, the first one that comes to mind for me is kind of an interesting one that I don't think very many people know about. Um, and it was a guy named Glenn Schmidt. And Glenn Schmidt was a toolmaker – Um, in orange County that Dick Helmstetter and Ely Calloway went to, and he was the first one that proved that you could make an oversized metalwood head. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize metalwood heads prior to the big Bertha were used at driving ranges. And the reason they were used at driving ranges is they didn't break. And so they were just these clubs that you beat on because persimmon was too delicate to be used. And Schmidt figured out a way with um, the manufacturing process to create the first Big Bertha. And I was fortunate enough to put it on my robot before it was ever released and test it. And they used to come down and refine it, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes. But without that innovation, you know, at that time, we wouldn't see the growth and the the trajectory. And then the second, Uh, Group that I would put on that is not very well known, but was really instrumental in driving the modern golf ball was the Titleist team. Um, And you had guys like Dean Snell that were working, uh, John Calabria. There was a whole team working to create this solid uh, core golf ball and remember everything in Titleist before that was balata and it was all windings and so there had been other solid core golf balls out there but Titleist really took a leap forward with the Pro V1 so if you look at the Big Bertha and the Pro V1 those to me belong on, quote-unquote, the Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame. But what's interesting about them is, yes, you could look at Wally Uline or Ely Calloway because they were driving the ships, but I'm always fascinated by the guys that were actually getting it done and proving the technology.
0: I love that you mentioned Dean Uh, Snell. I was going to say
3: Snell was going to be an innovator that I wanted to touch on. I'm glad Gene hit on that. But what would you guys think about T.O.? Tom, Tom. Yeah. Tom's a
2: great guy. Great yeah. guy. And, and I mean, he's contributed
3: a ton to the industry. I mean, his time with TaylorMade and some of the innovations that he brought into just modern metalwood technology. And, I mean, he was kind of on the forefront with movable weight and adjustability and adjustable loft sleeves and kind of designing some of that very first multi-material construction that went into some of the innovation with like we said modern metal woods what would you guys think about that
2: absolutely and and you got to look at um, benoit vincent too you know Benoit's run as head of r d of taylormade um you know he went out on top i mean he he had a string of hits that was really really impressive um I, you know in the industry
0: are we not going to mention Gary Adams
2: got to mention Gary too because <laughs> Gary you gotta defi- mention Gary, Gary, Adams. De- Gary defined a whole player category with hybrids and yeah. to be honest i would have to say it's interesting you say that i think Gary is solely responsible for bringing enjoyment back to the game anyone over the age of 45 because they no longer had to hit a 3 iron or a 2 iron or 4 iron and and, and let's face it, even tour players play hybrids. I mean, it's just it, it it was it was an incredible invention that has, I think, created a lot more enjoyment and ease of use of hitting the golf ball. I think it's if you go back, oh, I'm sorry, say, go ahead,
0: RB.
1: I think if you go
2: back further, someone who
1: would be up there just from like an innovation perspective as well, less so from like a, like an individual company. Although Wilson did have a lot of like like DynaPower irons and all that kind of stuff which was was pretty revolutionary and even like Ben Hogan like Hogan almost bankrupted his own company because like the first samples came through and he didn't like the way that they were performing and said screw it we're going to ditch it and at the time I think the story goes there was like $100,000 of inventory which bought which was a fortune for a small company because of the way that he wanted things to look and the way he wanted things to perform but if we go back even further I think the the modern sandwich belongs to Gene Sarazen and creating bounce and lead solder on the bottom of an iron to like have have this extra loft and you know as soon as he brought this thing out people were like whoa 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 what the hell is he doing right like what like what is this thing that's working so different and it was this idea of i believe it was either like a plane or uh like a boat haul like to go in and skip and i think to me that would that would also be something that would be up there where from not as an industry perspective, but from like a single club design and a single club, uh, like in, if you call it an invention, if you wanted to, but like just the way that he thought of revolutionizing something. Which, if you go out and you can, you look up R ninety wedge on eBay, and you can find them that you know the forty years worth of this, basically the exact same wedge. The wedge didn't change for a very long time until Roger Cleveland and then Bob Volke came along. So. I think in that sphere of different uh, categories of golf equipment, wedges. Before the modern people, it has to go to Gene Sarazen because before that, people were just trying very hard to get out of bunkers, and he comes along, and everyone goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is pretty sweet."
0: I mean, we could we could add so many other names. I just as I'm listening to you guys talk about it, I was I was thinking about who else could you could you add because it's it's impossible, I think, to to end up with four. And we're not even mentioning names like Roger Cleveland, or yeah, like, I mean, if if you want to go a little bit deeper, I mean, it, yes, there's some like very definite recency bias here, but Mike Taylor, and you could even you could throw Don White in there. I mean, there's there's some great there's some great club makers that that just don't have the same name recognition as a Carson Solheim, but that doesn't make them. Any any less important to the industry, and they all had their stamp on the industry. And others, Gene, others did two, you
1: oh,
0: I was gonna say
1: uh, Clay Long and uh, one of my like, a one. Like a, call him a friend uh, uh, as Jeff Sheets, who you know is designed for a lot of different companies, and who is very famous for. And I've said this before on the podcast: the picture of all the, the 50th anniversary Hogan irons that everyone drools yeah, over. Jeff's a great those, one. Those were his. Those were his design. Which were done. The masters were done by Mike Taylor. It, that that little Austin area of golf club design and technology is this little hub down where you are, j Wall. Uh, I'd love to peruse the used stores down there once in a while. Uh, we can we should make that a trip. But um, I think that, that there's another one as well where it, there's there's a lot of design that doesn't people don't people think about designs. They don't think about the people people behind them necessarily. But, but those are those are two more that are definitely high on my list of people that I would attribute to two great designs of golf equipment
3: and gene i was going to ask you if you ever did any work with uh, jesse ortiz
2: oh yeah jesse jesse you know jesse was an interesting one jesse had a small little company up in northern california uh in the east bay called olimar and had just been kind of bouncing around and he came out with the first hot uh, metal wood called the tri metal yep. or fairway wood. And it, it was kind of the first high launch low spin, uh, option to a driver. And in many cases at the time, because of the CG locations of drivers, even though it was shorter, it was actually longer than a lot of drivers out there. And they went from maybe, uh, Four or five million dollar a year company to a hundred million dollar a year company almost overnight in a year or two, and really had amazing success. And, um, yeah, they, uh, that's another one, Chris, that kind of redefined. It, it, when I look at kind of Mount Rushmore, like I said, I look and, and all these designers deserve their credit, but I look at did you redefine a category? And to RB's point about Sarazen, uh, to the pro v1 team to uh How about Barney uh, Adams. Barney Adams. Yeah. Here's absolutely. a name that
0: probably should have been at the at the top of the Yeah, but the he the he, list.
2: he he redefined a category. And yeah. so all of these guys in redefining the category of a golf equipment, I think that's that's what elevates you. And you know, to circle back, Karsten did that with not only a putter but with irons as well. And so you know he he was instrumental in really kind of creating uh, two um, parts of your bag that so many people are still using iterations of his original designs. I'm just going to challenge. I know we did this last week about like old golf equipment, but I would challenge anyone out
1: there to go find a tri-metal and find one of like the super little lofted ones. I had an 11 degree and I think the face was like maybe as tall as my thumb. So we're talking like, you know, maybe an inch tall from top line to sole. You could hit, you could, I had an 11, I think it was an 11 degree fairway. You could hit that thing off the deck and it went like stinking. To Gene's point, like those things by they design, were awesome. they, they were as long as any, almost any driver at the time and it was unbelievable. And I think actually now, okay, uh, just to let golf know, there will be an expensed hybrid or uh, fairway that I will be going off eBay at some point in the next uh, couple of days, once I find one. But uh, it, they were incredible. I think they were, they were such a cool golf club and you know, they they carried on with the Bobby Jones It's Like th- that was a club when I was um, in like re- selling like retail. People would always come in and say, "Can you get these? Can you get these?" It's like, no, you gotta buy them. You gotta buy them. You gotta call the number online. You gotta order them. And same thing, like gotta, they were gotta met, call they, Jesse. You gotta call him. You gotta call him direct. He'll, I'm sure he'll box them up for you. Just personally, like, I always think the picture of that too. Like those infomercials, people love Sparks on infomercials and i'm like how much sparks do you really like grinding off the, the the leading edge of one of these hybrids but you know they showed that in the infomercial I thought it was really cool uh but uh, they were definitely a, a club that were you know they performed as they were supposed to for slow swing speeds and people that needed it those are probably one of the highest launching highest spinning
0: hybrids i've ever seen speaking of infomercials we forgot a name on this list very disappointed in myself
2: how about jack
0: ham <laughs> i
2: knew you were gonna say that <laughs>
0: X, baby, come on, mouth. get on board, Gene. Did you see Jack Ham on, on the Mount Rushmore of no golf equipment?
2: Way His flowing locks. Uh,
0: Jack, was a, Jack was
2: Jack come was on. a client. Of, Jack was a client of mine. He used to come <laughs> down. And, Everybody was a, has been a client of yours, Gene. And Jack used to go can we crank it up a little higher? And I'm like, Jack, we're at 120 miles an hour. I think the machine's going to break. This is like, <laughs> you know, 30 years ago. He's like, just a little faster, please. Can we hit it a little faster? And I was like, please, a little, want a little more please. <laughs> he's like, he's like, come on, just a little faster. I'm like, Jack, this doesn't have any relevance to anybody that's going to be buying this stuff. I actually like Jack, He was a funny guy, but man, he really liked to swing golf clubs fast. That was his big thing. So <laughs> Anyway, I would say Shaq would be on one of those sky lists, like cleaning
1: around, Mush- around Mount Rushmore. Like, you know, he's he's there, <laughs> but like, he's not like, he's not he's on there. the wall. He's not like, on the mountain. People are aware of he's the job. He's like, like cleaning off, of off the, the bird shit. <laughs>
3: exactly.
1: Okay. All right. I, I see them in use bins all the time. I mean, they they did uh, exist. Also, shout out Tom Stites. I know he didn't mention him from Nike, but there's another one as well. I mean, there's there's so many
0: but there, there, so there many, are so, so many guys. Yeah. You can't, you can't do, you can't do a, a proper Mount Rushmore and not feel like you're leaving off like at least 10 or 15 guys that deserve to be on there. as well. anyway, I thought it was a fun topic. I want to get into something else. One more. I I yeah. just, okay. All I know, right. All
1: right. We've, One more. we mentioned, we've mentioned a lot of men. Okay. And I know, uh, Louise Solheim, her idea to remove the W from the answer is the reason it has its name. And I think it that's true. I was to going to mention that, but I'm glad you did. Um, I, I wanted to acknowledge that cause I know like we've, I, I just d- did mention a lot of dudes here. Um, but I think, you know, as far as the name and as far as what has, has existed for such a long period of time, I think, you know, she is definitely someone who is, uh, has a relevant place in this as well. Cause it was a family company too. So
0: yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, there are, it's, while it is a, a male dominated industry, who's the head of metalwoods, a so, which yeah. is really cool. I think Stephanie Stephanie is an amazing, amazing person, and she she just absolutely kills it over titles. And I don't think a lot of people realize that that's she she heads up their medalist division, which is really neat. Anyway, so for those that weren't checking out social media this past week, I pointed out that Ludwig Aberg, who it's hard to believe that he turned pro in June. And he's already a member of the European Ryder Cup team. Um, it's anyway, crazy, won- right? it is crazy. It is incredible. I mean, it, there were some players, Eddie Pepperell. I saw had mentioned that that including Aberg on the team was gonna was basically gonna break the Ryder Cup system because he he goes against all all the the previous history that says you've gotta you've gotta be you know a guy with long term success. You you need to have some history. You need to have some buddies. in in, on the Ryder cup team that are going to help push for you. I mean, he goes against that. He goes against everything, but the reason I pointed him out was because he changed putters the week before his, his win. And he, it's not a major putter change. He was using his RB actually shot his gear towards the end of the year. I think RB, where were you? You Detroit. I was down in Detroit. Yeah. It was uh, rocket
1: mortgage. Uh, I got in and out one day back and forth to Detroit. A couple, uh,
0: Mr. Efficient, big old I love pizzas. It. Yep, I, I, I love I love being in in and out in a day, and you can still get a lot done. Anyway, he changed putters. Very simple change. Went from an Odyssey Works one into an Odyssey White Hot Versa one. And the interesting change there being that he was using with the Works that that putter was designed with the the White Hot micro hinge insert, and the the White Hot Versa that was recently released this year has the just traditional OG white hot insert. But Aberg, being being a guy who has different field preferences, wanted the, the micro hinge. So they created a, a Versa with the micro hinge insert. And so I, I posted this on social media. And one of the comments that I got from somebody on social – actually, I'll just I'll call him out. Ryan Leach on, on Twitter said, yet the ball, bifurca- uh, ball bifurcation argument is regular weekend golfers can play the same equipment as the pros. And it's funny how often I will post something about a guy changing into a, a new driver, fairway, irons, whatever it is. And it's a two, you know, I call it 2 only product. A lot of times it is. It's, you know, guys like Justin Thomas, Webb Simpson, RB got photos earlier this year of Cam Young with some new, uh, he was testing out some new titles, prototype blades. You've got Aberg with a putter head that you can get at retail, but it's not with the retail insert. And for whatever reason, the, these always elicit a reaction from from the social media commentary. They always complain. Yet, you know, it's they, they say there's bifur you know there's no bifurcation yet there's two different types of equipment. You know, we can't get this, but the pros can get this. And I, I've got to ask you guys: Is this overblown? Is it that big of a deal that that Aberg is using a putter with a micro hinge insert
2: that regular golfers can't get? absolutely yeah it's 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 totally overblown for one simple reason that everybody's missing and that's is it conforming or not and the bottom line is all the gears all the gear that tour players have is conforming and so it's a matter of marketability it's conforming meaning that anybody can play it and there are sites not dark websites, but sites where you can go out and buy oh, some of this dark stuff. where <laughs> you can go out and pay ridiculous amounts of money for, you know, something that fell off the back of a cart that was, you know, allegedly used by a tour player. But at the end of the day, it's conforming under the rules of golf. So therefore it's not bifurcation. It's just simply a marketability issue that they're creating this to, um, May, you know satisfy their their tour players but they realize that realistically this doesn't have a market where they can they can sell it as a whole so it, it your your um your readers um or, or commentators are missing the mark that it's not uh bifurcation it's just simply they're trying to give a you know here's a classic example bryson had a driver with four degrees of loft you know, for Cobra. Now, Cobra could have sold that driver. That driver was conforming according to the rules of golf, but nobody in their right mind is going to hit a four-degree lofted driver. So it's not bifurcation. You can go out and get a driver with four degrees of loft, and you're never going to get the ball in the air This driver was made specifically for Bryson due to his club head speed, but it also did not exceed the CT limitations, meaning that the ball speed was not greater than 1.5 coming off the club face. So uh, once again, it's not bifurcation. It's just simply they're making products for specific players in order to satisfy them. It's really just a fitting thing. Yeah, 100%.
1: I don't, I mean, I see here's the, and I, you know what I will, this, and again, I think there's, there's a bit of a, um, like you become accustomed to it, which I think is a big part of it because you know I've been on Strixon vans and they have different drivers with different, like, um, it's like a different weight setting or something like that, like a front to back weight setting or a side to side weight setting, or, um, anything any loft those, like,
0: like that look at, like TaylorMade. made yeah like they, they have they have a tour loft sleeve that that allows those guys to crank the loft down if they need to more than the more than the standard sleeve.
1: yeah and i, I just think it, it at the end of the day it, it just comes down to like what what is possible as far as fitting is concerned and what is working for individual players and you know i've seen a lot of this stuff up close and you know once once you try it I'll be real honest. You're kind of like, okay, like what's the big deal? It's just, it's literally the same thing, right? It's, it's comes from the same factories and they'll tell you and they talk to the R&D people. The biggest difference is from a club head to club head perspective, everything's getting checked. Like we go into titles, every retail driver's getting the old ding on the club face to make sure it's conforming because if some amateur gets it and goes out and wins something and someone says he's hitting it real far, right? Like they'll be like, you're fine to go check that. Same with wedges or all of those different things. But Aaron Dill's out there to service players to grind their wedges to a specific like shape or whatever it happens to be, or like they're different drivers or different very woods with different, maybe weight settings just to fit a certain player or hot melt or whatever it happens to be. And once you realize that you as a different, as a individual player, just to go try something that, you know, Brooks Kepka had or Hideki Matsuyama had, well, good luck trying to get any into Hideki's gear anyways. But then what I'm saying is like, it doesn't matter. Because once you get fit, the launch monitor doesn't care what the club is. It just declares what, as just as Gene always says, and like, you know, Chris and fittings, right? Like someone comes in and you're like, well, you're, you're, you're absolutely optimized with this product here and it's a retail head. And this is the shaft that we offer and it's sold everywhere. And here's a grip. And you know what? You're, you're not going to hit it any further. Like scientifically, it's impossible unless you want to go play golf in the moon or higher altitude or something silly. Like, There's no magic pixie dust in any of this stuff. It's titanium, it's steel, it's forged, whatever it's graphite. It's there. And it's just designed to fit very specific players that are at a very high level. Just like you don't get the same slick cars, slick tires from your, on your, you know, Camry minivan or whatever, Toyota minivan that goes on the freaking Honda F1 car. It would be pretty (laughs) sick, but like good luck trying to drive
0: in the rain. But it's Uh, human nature to, to want what you can't have. I know oh, I know it's always. And I will say this, like credit to to Odyssey for example. Like they they capitalized on the success of of that putter. When Ricky started using Jailbird, I mean they could have easily have said and they did initially it's like oh man we don't have the we don't have the parts to to release this, but they ramped up quickly. They got those out, they sold them out quickly and I think that's a great business model for people who complain like this is if if a guy like let's say Aberg, uh, let's say he has the winning putt at the Ryder Cup, and then he goes on to win a major with with this you know custom quote unquote Odyssey White Hot Versa One, I could totally see them releasing a an Aberg version built you know built to his specs with his grip and all that stuff. Like go for it. It really absolutely hundred and fifty. Capitalize on that. But I just don't see the need. To release everything that the tour pros have. Because to, to all of your points, it's it's optimized to their game. That's the same that people complain about all the, there's not, I shouldn't say all, but the, the titles golf balls that they've released over the years. And hey, whole big surprise, Titles has actually released those balls at retail. So they like the things that they view as having the potential for success in the retail market, most manufacturers aren't stupid. They're going to release them eventually. Sometimes they just realize that there's just not enough people out there that are going to benefit from, from certain products that pros are using. And so you just don't release it because it's not worth all the skews.
2: I'll tell you one. one, Oh, uh, go ahead, Gene. I was just going to say one story that's kind of interesting, little inside baseball that uh, doesn't exist anymore. So I can tell it. Spalding told me like 25 years ago, uh, maybe even 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, manufacturing tolerances weren't nearly as tight for golf balls now. So they had a robot down in in Palm Desert, in the Palm Springs area, uh, an old Iron Byron. And they told me they would take 500 golf balls or 750 golf balls, and they'd hit them at 110 miles an hour. And they would go out and take the balls that went plus or minus 30 yards greater right and left and discard them. And they would do this five times until they got, you know, uh, you know, X number of dozens of golf balls that they knew just from a quality control standpoint went straight and Holy those are the balls. Shit. And those are the balls that went to the <laughs> tour. <laughs> just to Give you an idea. Now there was a clear example of, wow, you know, that they knew <sighs> what they're trying to get a badge. Batter- yeah, what their manufacturing tolerances were, and they were guaranteed. Now, they, all these balls were conforming. That is an amazing just, story. So so in that case, absolutely. And the average chop had no idea that they were playing a ball that was doing that. But those stories are long gone because the quality control has really improved on golf balls. And it's 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 not necessary like it used to be. You
1: know, the the one thing that that people always ask, there's like all these different parts of golf clubs that like players want to use when it comes to like matching what the pros play. And the one thing that you can always get is grips because we have to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Pride because Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't just a grip. It's the only connection you have between you and your golf club on every single shot. And studies have proven that when you have the right grip, that's the right for you Rightly fit just for you, for size, texture, taper, all of those different things that come together, even just for comfort, if that's what you're looking for. You're going to swing the club faster, you're going to gain distance, and you can play golf longer and more comfortably. And when it comes to comfort, you can guide grips like the CPX or the CP2 which are the CPX is the softest performance grip golf pride has ever created. And if you're looking for something more like a wrap style, there is the CP2, which comes in a number of different sizes, including jumbo. And then there's also grips that are designed extremely, just like we talked about tires earlier, for absolute traction and performance. And that is grips like the MCC and the Z grip, which offer core technology as well as when it comes to MGC hybrid core technology. So you get cord in the upper hand and something softer in the lower hand. Now, if you are a listener at Fully Equipped and you're curious, to try any of these grips out, you can go to golfpride.com, use code fully equipped. That is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D. What that does, that'll give you free shipping on your next order. That's available for all orders within the United States. And there is no minimum required. So you want to try a few grips or you want to stock up, head over to golfpride.com, use code fully equipped, and you can check out your their grips today. And don't forget they have putter grips too.
0: And putter grips too. Anyway, all right. Fully equipped hotline time. So if you missed right. last week's pod, it was the maiden episode for the new Flickup Hotline where you can call in, as I've, I've said, you can rant, you can rave. I, I'll, I'll let you do pretty much anything as long as you keep it PC. A couple, of, a couple of things that I do want to point out for those that are going to leave voicemails for future episodes. we We play the voicemails in their entirety, although I've been talking to Coach about trying to cut them down a little bit because one thing i've noticed is some of them are very long-winded. So, like us. <laughs> yeah, i know, like us. But but if if i could just just a couple of things, if you can one record in a quiet place so that we can get some some really clean audio. That would be great. Two, please leave your name and where you're calling from because we always like to to call you out. And and i think that's a great way to do that. And three, if you can try to keep it to like say 30 or 45 seconds, keep it clear and concise. And, you know, keep it funny as hell. Keep it like Bob from SC. Bob from SC's was was less than a minute. And it was, it was hilarious. Chris is Chris is smiling. He knows. Bob's was great. So anyway, those, those are my only asks if you're going to leave a voicemail in the future. The number, for those that don't know it yet, is 602-935-4974. We have some more voicemails for this week. Coach, we're ready for them.
3: All right. This is an example of how to do exactly what Jonathan was just talking about for you people.
4: Hey guys, Robert Ludzick from Bay Area again just wants to know is there a Guinness world record that we can get for Dean and the robot to do uh something to uh commemorate. Thanks.
0: Is there is there something that we can get the robot to do that would get uh, the golf labs robot in the Guinness book of world records. Gene, is the robot even in the Guinness book yet?
2: I don't think so. Uh, that's a really good question. You know, Trackman asked me one time to do the combine, you know, which is their like best score possible and to try to do it on the robot, just to see what the, what the perfect score we, you know, we did get a hole in one with five tries, So I think statistically we are off the charts as far as the, um, I've also got a hole in one in like 10 tries on a, on a hole. So I think that would be a world record as far as the amount of tries to get a hole in one, but haven't, haven't done anything officially yet. We need to do that.
0: We need to do some, some video, some video footage. We just need to go take the robot out to a hole somewhere in, in your neck of the woods and just plop it down and just see how many golf balls it takes to record a hole in one.
2: Yeah. There were those great European PGA ads where, you know, the guy was there from sunup to sundown and we could just show how quickly we just show up, have a cup of coffee and be out in about five minutes (laughs) before,
0: before we finish the coffee.
2: (laughs) Exactly. We're
0: going to make that happen for next year. I'm going to put that down on on the, on the to-do list of things that need to happen. You got it.
3: Do we, do we raise the bar and do a par three and a par four?
2: Mm. That would be, Mm. I like, I like flying objects personally. I like to hit shit that's in the air. So put some stuff up there and give me targets and uh, let's, let's make it interesting. Allah, you know, the washing machine and Rory versus the robot. That was a fun one to try to hit. And the funny backstory on that, we hit it on the first shot into the cylinder we're talking a washing machine at 150 yards 75 feet in the air and it was just random luck but we hit it in and rory turned to me and gave me the dirtiest look like (laughs) he he thought no 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 joke and i talked to the director afterwards and he he thought he was being like scammed or you know that this was a, a prank type thing And I saw the competitor in him. He dropped 10 golf balls down and we were supposed to be hitting alternating shots and it took him 10 shots, but he hit one in that washing machine. It it, it was so wild to see. You just realize why these guys are elite athletes and, and, you know, apex predators. They don't like to be shown up even by a robot. And, you know, he started going after it till he hit one in as well. So it was kind of funny. I
0: love it. All right, Coach, you wrote us.
3: Here we go. I don't know if Chris, as a Disney fan, is going to love or hate (laughs) this one, but um, it's got to be up your alley somewhat.
4: Hello, Fully Equipped. My name is Zachary Ginn. I am a golfer from Richmond, Virginia. So I have a question for you all and then a hot take. I think about the scene in the Harry Potter movies a lot where Harry gets his wand from Ollivander. In the scene, he's looking at a lot of different wands, but when the wand finds him, it's like the heavens open up, the whole room is swirling around, and the music hits a crescendo. In association with club fitting, have you ever had a finding your wand moment where the heavens open up, And it's like the club found you. For me, the the greatest elder wand is the Callaway Apex UW original. Incredible, awesome CG. Very, very hard to beat. Perfect sizing. Scoring lines across the face. Incredible. So that is my question
0: to you. I love this question. It's so great because I, I would imagine all golfers out there have at least like one club where it just, you put it in your hands and you hit it and it felt like it was made for you. So let's I, go, let's go boys. What, what's that one club?
3: I've I've got to call Mark out real quick because the, uh, the Harry oh, Potter I was for reference. This. Yeah. It's, it's not Disney. It's, it's not, not Disney. Disney. It is
0: uh coach. Isn't it Disney? Isn't it a Disney? I, I file? said he He's might, I stuff? said
3: he might as a Disney fan, he might hate it because it wasn't Disney okay fair enough well
0: Well, then chris and i are not listening comprehension is not our strong suit
3: you can't listen to coach i mean he's he's just the voice in the background he never has a face he's just that guy he's like wilson from home improvement it's like he's there but he's not really there so no universal warner brothers uh i can say in a fitting environment uh we definitely have those moments to where when you find that right combination for a player the the club really just jumps off the page so there are multiple times throughout especially if you're going through a full bag fitting and i'll even you know kind of disclose this as we get into the fitting it's we're going to be hitting a lot of shots this is a marathon not a sprint so if i'm telling you after three swings that this just isn't the one trust what it is that i'm telling you let's pull it back let's go to something different because when we do find that shaft and head combination that really complements what it is that the player does, it does jump off the page. It separates itself from everything else. So it has to check that box for player of look, sound, feel. And then generally when it checks all those boxes, it's also aligning for me on the numerics as far as looking for those launch parameters and, and the actual performance results that we want to see in a in a well-fit golf club.
1: I think um, if I was to like pick a golf club like for myself um i can remember the first time that the i saw the ping g10 driver uh rep came in uh mm-hmm. just was working at a store and he's like oh we got the new like g10 stuff and it was a uh, it was a g10 nine degree with uh with the pro light pro launch red shafts so like the lower launch pro launch shafts most people think of the blue which is the high launch one but this was like a stock option and uh I was like, I was warmed up and I was sitting for shots. And I was like, yep. Can I just, can I order this now? There was that. And like, uh, there was another, what was it? Um, the Adams F 11 titanium Fairway wood. I had like four balls with it. And I was like, can I just order this? Like, I just, whatever this is I want to order it. Saw the shot. I didn't miss one. Felt great. Everything did exactly it as it's supposed to. And I was like, yeah, this is great. And I had both those golf clubs, not consecutively, but I had both those golf clubs for a very long time. And, uh, I think for a lot of players, I don't think you have to be a good player to, to experience that. Whether it be with a putter or a driver or a hybrid or fairway, whatever it happens to be, there's that you're there's probably going to be some case you're in a fitting or you're just you're just curious and you're trying to golf club out. and you know you're like wow it, that that the numbers are supporting what I think it feels like and it's it, to be honest it's easy to make that decision. So uh, yeah, I definitely experienced it before. I think it was four swings with that ping driver and I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm not going any more. Whatever this is, nine degrees. Yeah, fine, just order it. Order it and I'll pay for it when it shows up.
0: Gene, nothing? No, them. Nope. <laughs> Gene doesn't know what that feels <laughs> like. <laughs> nope, I'm he's, good. he's got nothing.
2: There's no feeling. He literally has nothing.
0: No, yeah, he's never, he hasn't found my club yet. A robot doesn't have
2: emotion. No, it's, no. it's, it's, I mean, I've had clubs that have worked. I've had clubs that haven't worked. I mean, you know, I had an eight iron for a while. I can't even remember the set. I liked it a lot, but yeah, not nothing. I mean, you know, it's, it's a golf club and it fits you at a specific time. And, you know, what's, what's the beauty and madness of golf. And I was thinking about it when, you know, I was thinking about the question, um, like there were certain clubs that fit during certain points of my life, but wouldn't fit now. I mean, that's the beauty of golf and why you always need golf equipment is your game is always, you know, evolving or devolving. You're improving, you're, you're, you're receding. And so, it, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating game in that regard. And, you know, I've got clubs in my bag right now that are right on the edge that used to work really well that don't, and maybe other ones that'll start working better, you know, as, as I age. So yeah, that's all I got. It, this has, is an interesting,
3: has Gene had an opportunity to hit the Zexio product yet that that might be Gene's just Holy grail right there.
2: Yeah. I'm not quite that old. Uh, I still got a Yay! buck. Oh, five. <laughs> Yeah, I got a bucket yeah. five. So I'm just All gonna right. hold off on that just for a little bit long. But thank you. I appreciate you putting me in a walker and a home already. So, you know, much, <laughs> much appreciated. Hey, it's a nice home. It's nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's got four walls. Maybe a bed. <laughs> Can't promise you that. Uh I I think for me, this is this is an interesting one when I was thinking about it. It's actually a club that I that I now despise, which I think goes to Gene's point about it fits it fits your game at a certain time. But I would I would say the the title is the 906 F2 Fairway. Remember the last time that I really had a like a club that I loved it was a the Fairway Wood, which is just shocking. But it was one where I I put it down, I hit it, it looked good. I, I took a couple swings with it, and I was like, I'm done. Like I don't need to change anything. It's, it's perfect, and I haven't had that feeling since. Which is is really fascinating because I feel like it's like it's almost like that high that I'm still chasing is trying to find that that sensation. Like I haven't had a golf club like that where I've, I hit a couple of balls. I think the closest thing would probably be like TSI TSI three, which is interesting that it was also a titles club. But TSI three was like the last. The, the most recent time where I actually remember laughing as I hit a cup, like first couple of balls, like it was just rocketing off the face. And I was like, this is dumb. Like I'm having so much fun hitting a driver. I can remember the last time I had that. So it is a feeling. I feel like all golfers are chasing like that feeling of being connected to your golf club, but also having fun with it anyway. One of the fun dragons
1: to chase in this world. <laughs> if you're going to yeah. chase a dragon, chasing the feeling of a well hit shot, shot is
0: uh, is a pretty safe one. I would say. Yeah. 100%. All right. I think we've got, one more for this week, coach, correct? Yeah, we got one more that's going to spawn
3: maybe a, a segment within a segment. So we'll just call this question uh, a game of Name That Putter. Ooh.
4: Hey, this is Drew Palmer from uh, Seattle, Washington over here. I just got done playing around with an older gentleman. It looked like he had some type of odyssey, but it was all backwards putter. So putter and the shaft was on the backside of the putter and it looked almost like a half pipe with a circle in the middle and it was all blue and it was probably i don't know six inches long by five inches wide it was a big old honker and it was an arm lock too why did that lose so much traction a very unique looking putter straight back straight through uh frankly i found it looked horrific but I'm interested to know from the technology side what was the theory behind it? And why did it all drop off?
0: Well, I can already give you the putter name. It's called the Odyssey Backstrike.
3: I
4: love the description that I gave you the half pipe.
0: yeah, yeah. It is a very interesting design because that if you've never seen one before, it it looks like it looks like the putter designer got drunk and just <laughs> inserted the the shaft into the wrong part of the head. It, it's such a it's such a strange design, but it, it is, and I'll let you guys talk a little bit more about it, but it's it's inserted in the back of the head and has a specific angle on that shaft for for a very good reason.
1: I, I think for anyone who's listening, the one that he's talking about, I believe he is talking about, is the backstrike marksman putter, which doesn't have necessarily a triple track, but it does have three very distinct lines within the alignment, which is uh which would be perpendicular or sorry, parallel to your, to your target line, and then has the half pipe or or the full like circle U that goes around. Um, I, which I think is, you know, of all, of all the putters that have been interesting. I mean, it is actually very similar to something like the, the way the putter sits with the toe up is similar to like an axis one or, uh, the, 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 what's it, the, the lab putters, the LAV putters um so i mean th- there was made a like,
0: uh, made a, a prototype right. version of this for
1: charles schwartzel, <laughs> schwartzel that's for schwartzel,
0: for right. Uh, for a few years back and drill the
1: mirror drill the holes in his mirror irons guy
0: yeah yeah exactly i know he, he drills his own holes which is just like a wild man thing but i, uh, I love it it i mean
1: it, it had some success for players with how with, with like the forward shaft bend and all that stuff and I mean, shout out. Well, it, to, gets uh, it, it gets it
0: in place. That's why for people yeah. that are wondering, like it gets that forward shaft lean, like it's built in, and that's why there is that long grip because a lot of guys will rest, will rest that grip against their forearm. Um, it sort of creates a little bit like a like an anchoring sensation so in some way, kind of the the way that you have the the wrist lock grips, and it's it's to help you know almost attach it to your arm and and allow for. For a little bit more of a consistent stroke, while while keeping that shaft in the same position throughout the stroke.
1: Speaking of shafts and, and strokes, I mean the, the person who won on tour with it, I think, was uh, Tommy Gainey. Um, the, uh, the the his one and only Mr. Tour Mr. Two win,
0: Gloves himself,
1: Mr. Two Gloves. Uh, I think in uh, addition to a few other things,
0: but not going to get into that on this on this podcast.
1: <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll leave it at that at the moment. Save that for
0: fully equipped after dark.
1: Yeah, you can. You guys can all look that up if you want, but um. Yeah, his his friend. one and only win was with uh was was with a um, was with one of those backstrike putters. Not only that, I can just distinctly remember him. Whatever he shot on that Sunday, he was in, in like super early, before everyone else had kind of finished that event. And uh, I remember he had won, and he was sitting on his flip phone. Now this was not like 1994; like this was like the iPhone and BlackBerry was very much a thing. <laughs> Okay. And he still had the flip phone. So I don't know, maybe it was a burner for like, you know, those, those activities you want to keep quiet playing things. snake so, RB
0: He's
1: yeah, he's playing snake on his, uh, uh, yes. his his flip phone. That was a good one. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, the only
0: game you could play on those. Push, those flip phones. push, push,
1: push, 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 push was good. Cause <laughs> it was like the puzzle game. You had to line up all the things at once. But anyways, isn't that just uh, yeah, Tetris? That was, no, Tetris is totally different. You have to like, you had to, you had to sequence the way that you would put a push a block into like the thing, and then you'd have to go to the next one and do. It. You have to figure it, out. it was a puzzle game, um, but I remember playing a lot of that on uh, on a phone in uh, math class. So <laughs> I'll just put it out there. Uh, but yes, yeah, that, that the backstrike. thats what he's thinking of, and uh, you can find him. I just looked it up while we were because well, I knew Jonathan knew what it was like right away. For some reason, there's one on eBay right now for like six hundred dollars uh, or nine hundred dollars. Are you an idiot? Who? What the hell? Where these prices? Okay, you can find for like hundred and fifty bucks. Who is selling these things for six hundred dollars? This is It's only
0: worth what somebody is willing to pay for it, RB. Don't forget that.
1: That's right. You only need two customers to create a market. And uh, you got a market (laughs) for it. Two idiots to create a market. Two idiots. Uh, That's how how they sell NFL teams to people and sporting teams to people. You just need to find two really, really rich people and have them fight over it.
3: Uh, To answer the original question, why did it lose traction? And I I would say that anything that gets too far outside of the box appeals to a very limited market. The majority of your putter consumers out there and or putter collectors uh, don't really venture too far away from traditional shapes and traditional designs. So you have a lot of niche type putters that are in existence out there, kind of like the marksman to your point there, RB. It's just a very unique shape, very unique design that doesn't appeal to a very large demographic of player. So while it is effective for the right player, just like any piece of gear, it's uh, it's not something that's going to gain a lot of traction and hold the line for a prolonged period of time. And that's kind of what we're seeing now with these with the long putters. You know, is this a blip on the radar? Is everybody going to eventually transition back into what's been tried and true and worked for years and years and years, or of is this something that now? As I mean, if I can relate it to kind of like the competitive bowling scene and you had one or two players that came out with the two handed style and started to absolutely dominate the PBA tour. And now you see more and more of the junior players and high school players and collegiate players coming up. And that's the style that they're emulating because it was successful at the point in time that they picked up the game. So, I mean, TBD on if this putter style is going to stick around and if the, the up-and-comers are going to adapt to it and continue to increase the popularity of it.
0: Last week it was like, Formula One. This week it's professional bowling. There you go. Well,
1: t- I was going to say there's two, two like tangents on that. One, to, to relate actually right back to putting, would be cross-handed putting seemed very, very odd a long time ago. And then Furyk, I mean, it just has continued to work its way into a lot of players, You're just like normal, the way they learn to putt. Um, but it was funny. You mentioned the professional bowling thing. I saw a thread on Twitter. I refuse to call it X. It was on Twitter and, uh, it was in the KBL. So the K- Korean basketball league.
0: Oh yeah. Off I saw
1: the, this off the backboard. Free throws is yeah. like the thing. They don't try and straight in. They like 90% or not 90%, but a huge amount of the best free throw shooters. And most of the players in that league shoot off, basically off the square for their free throws, and I thought,
0: and they were over like eighty percent, I think. Yeah, on, on free yeah, throw like makes.
1: They, they were very, very high percentage makes yeah. on that, and I thought that was a that was a really cool little like. It was it was an interesting thread because we were discussing like the science of the arc and the science of it. Re- it reduces, or sorry, it loses velocity off the backboard. So, like, yes, you have to throw it further to get it there but does the percentage increase because it's b- bouncing back at like a lower rate? It was fascinating. It was actually like, I just thought, you know, completely unrelated to golf, right? It's kind of the pin in, pin out argument that you have forever.
0: And anybody that that says, I mean, if you were to look at at the backstrike putter and say, oh, it's it's extinct. I mean, there, there are some guys out there in, in your, you know, Sunday foursomes that are playing one, but it's extinct. Like nobody plays that. I would just remind you that the Odyssey versus Jailbird, that putter was released in 2013, and Odyssey never re-released it again until Ricky Fowler picked one up. So, don't never say never. It could it could have a resurgence, just like just like Jailbird, just like the the long putters having right now. It can happen. Anyway, all right. So we have an interview this week, but I'm going to let RBT it up because he made the trip to Oakbrook, Illinois.
1: Yeah, uh, so it's a it's a suburb of Chicago. Most people are familiar with Chicago. Um, it, to go see Studio B, which is uh, I t- went to go talk to President of Betnardi Sam uh, Betnardi, and we talked about what the studio location really means to the company. They've always had a fitting studio, but it was in the manufacturing facility. It was pretty small, and it wasn't really something that was. It was it was lovely. It was this very cool setup, but it just wasn't something that a customer could come in and interact with the brand. It wasn't. It was. It was just this very different space, so they wanted to create this studio where people come in. You could just come in off the street. You can shop for head covers. You can shop for clothing. You can do all kinds of stuff. And uh, I got to be there for the grand opening. It was during the uh, BMW. So Matt Fitzpatrick kind of stopped in and said hello. Uh, don't worry, sorry, we didn't get him on the podcast, but I had a chance to talk to Sam about putters, putter fitting, the history of the a co- little bit of the history of the company, a little bit of the history of the some of the, the symbolism that you see in, in the head covers and all of those different things, which I actually found very fascinating and I didn't really understand any of it. And it was just a cool chat about putters, putter fitting, and I really think uh, people are going to enjoy it. So you can uh, check that interview out with Sam. Hope you enjoy. All right, so I'd like to welcome to Fully Equipped, Sam Bettinardi. And we are currently at the grand opening of the all new Studio B in Oak Brook, which is just outside of Chicago. And I gotta say, this is an amazing experience, so thank you for having me. But uh, thanks for being on Fully Equipped.
5: Awesome, Ryan. Appreciate you having me, and thank you for coming tonight. This is
1: it's wonderful. Like I have to ask, I have to because I have to start with this because you know it is it is a really cool studio experience, and I think anyone who's in the area should definitely come by and visit it either for putter fitting or just to see like the way you guys have merchandised this space. What has it been like setting up this space, going from where you were in Tinley Park? Above, basically the manufacturing floor
5: to here. Right, I think the big the dream of mine was, you know, when I joined the company ten years ago, we had the studio there started in two thousand five, and it was by appointment only, and eight to five p.m. and there was one person every hour, and of course we sold our head covers and hive putters and everything in there, but. I really felt that I, I wanted to elevate the brand to a, a whole new level. And I think the Studio B Oakbrook really does that. Again, you mentioned the merchandise. I think Studio B Oak Brook gives people an opportunity to come, taste, touch, smell, feel what Bette Nardy is all about. Studio B Tinley Park, which has been there since 2005, is putter fittings only. The cool part is you can see the manufacturing floor while you're getting fit. That's the only thing we're losing here. But while you're here, it's just everything is done so right. Everything's done so well. There's two putter bays. There's a wedge fitting opportunity. There's a custom room for people to design their own custom putters. Um, we're just so, so excited to be here. And like you said, this is opening night. Tomorrow we open up and here we go.
1: So you mentioned something like because the the original studio was on the manu- on the manufacturing floor, a big thing is you guys do a lot of stuff in-house. And I was talking earlier, you have this beautiful wall of... Putter head covers. What has it been like bringing that part of the design process in-house as well? Because that was something that, like a lot of places, outsourced before. But to bring that in-house and be able to, from design to every single stitch of your head covers, be done here in the United States, in your own manufacturing. What is that like? And what is that process like for you guys?
5: I mean, it's crazy to even think about because four or five years ago, I never would have imagined we'd ever would have done that because we know metal. Even backing up eight nine years, I remember asking my father, "Why don't we start making our head covers?" And he goes, "We don't know leather," and it took us a long time how to figure out how to make leather goods. Right, sewing embroidering, stitching the foam, the type of leather, the type of threads, the the team, the machines. So bringing that all in house, I mean, anything that has our name on it, I want it to be the best. I want to be uh, excellent. I want to be uh, you know precision performance. I want everything to be Perfect. So by bringing it in house, we control the process. So I don't have to call a vendor, you know, in a different state, in a different country. I can walk down 15 steps from my office onto the floor and talk to the people that are making the head covers. Hey, I think this green is a little too lime. Let's tone it back. I think this stitch is a little too raised. Let's lower it. I think this thread is a little too gray. So that's been unbelievable, right? Where if you design it on a computer and you send it to a vendor, that's really cool. But being there involved, my designers are very involved in the design process from start to finish. I'm very involved in the design process, start to finish. So just having that, that total ownership of the manufacturing has been a huge game changer for us.
1: So looking at that wall, you got me really personally curious. One of the things that I keep seeing is this cat. (laughs) Where does, where does that come from? Like what, what was the origin of that? And like, how does that become part of the Bette brand?
5: Yeah, the Fat Cat came about, if you think of a lot of uh, a high-end people at country clubs or Wall Street, they're <laughs> called Fat Cats, right? That was a saying way back in the day. Hey, he's a yeah. Fat Cat, right? So I thought it would be really cool to have an icon, right? A lot of our icons, like our Stinger, our, our Betty Bomb, our Windy City Wizard, and the Fat Cat have an icon that's kind of related to these people that are very wealthy and they feel really cool. And the fat cat's kind of taken on its own uh, persona. It's very fun. It's got a big personality. And the cool part about the cat is he can do anything, right? So there may be a fat cat drinking a transfusion. (laughs) There may be a fat cat uh, swinging a club. Uh, Driving a golf cart. Driving a golf cart. With the wizard. With the wizard, with his buddy, right? Uh, So there's so many things and it's endless in terms of what we can do in the design space. But that was always just a fun saying like, he's a fat cat. Okay, cool. And then turning that into what it is today has been really cool.
1: Now, another part of that is, so I, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do okay. you have, do you have a favorite head cover or what's the head cover that's in your bag?
5: Um, I have a FAI, which is a first article inspection. So it's a sample head cover and it's actually a Betty bomb. So we just introduced the Betty bomb as an icon probably three or four months ago. So I think it's really cool. It's a white perf leather, uh, some really cool teal stitching in there. It's a one of one, so it's cool. And the rest of my bag, you know, my nickname's the Wizard, right? The Winnie City Wizard, because I get up and down in a lot of places. <laughs> so I do have some nice wizard gear on my product on the head covers on my putter. But in terms of favorite head cover, probably some of the original tour department products, um you know, I'm thinking back to the first one of the first head covers I designed was a double bubble head cover. And then transforming that into a transfusion cover and then just kind of get kept the ball rolling with the creative juices. So let's get back to the manufacturing side. Because I think this to me
1: is is one of the coolest parts of, of what you guys do. Because looking on the floor there and, and looking at the retail space that you guys have created, everything that from start to finish you guys control. And how has that has that process changed as far as not? the processes, but the, um, the manufacturing capabilities that you have, like the machines that you use from the putters that would have been say, when you started to now has, has that process evolved to become more intricate because just like your head covers, they become more intricate. They become, there's, there's more stitching. There's all of these different things that are involved in that process. How has that changed to where you are now, where you feel that what you're putting out is really like top of the line, basically.
5: Yeah. I mean, when, when, when my father started in 98, I think he had eight employees, right? And then that grew to 20 employees and then that grew to 40 employees. And when I started, there was 45, 50 employees. Now we have 170 employees, right? So when you talk about how things have changed, the process of processes have changed in terms of how we manufacture and how to be more efficient, the machinery, the technology advancements, right, that have taken place. Um, you know, you talked about when my father started the Bridgeport milling machine that was making every putter by hand, it was all handmade. Now there's CNC milling machines. Now we're using 3D printing to prove out a concept. And you saw Matt Fitzpatrick tonight take that 3D yeah. print, show Matt, hey, Matt, is this what you were looking for? Yes, it is. Now let's go machine it versus wasting hours and hours in setting that job up, making the putter, letting the machine set bringing it to Matt. Matt goes, I don't like it. Now we bring it back with the start all over. So there's been a lot of improvements in terms of the process and how we make things and making things quicker, making things leaner, making things better quality. And again, you talk about bringing things in house, owning the process is such a big part of what we want to do by securing the best stainless steel, carbon steel, the best leathers, the best threads. So that's, that's a big key to me in terms of, uh, our whole staff and making sure everybody buys into that let's let's do the best right be the best you can be we want to have everything be the best and that's that's who we are so you mentioned
1: matt there matt was here this evening which is really cool um how how does the tour influence the way that you guys make putters is it is it individualized just like when someone comes and goes through the hive experience and goes through that that custom fitting process it's it's kind of the same thing right like tour players say there may be a little bit more precise in what they're looking for and what they're asking for as far as even radius and feel and sound and acoustics and all of those things but at the end of the day a part of that you produce for a consumer is exactly the same thing
5: right i mean i think that you think of the trend this year in counterbalance putters right there's the the u.s open winner was a counterbalance user ricky fowler switched to counterbalance right both guys in the last group were counterbalanced so now We've been getting requests from tour players and consumers for 400-gram heads, 38 inches. You know, when Matt Kuchar took on the scene in 2013, the big trend was arm lock. Yeah. And then it took off again in 2016, the year they banned it. So there's it always ebbs and flows. So right now, too, the trend is mallets, right? High MOI mallets. That fits right into our innovate line of putters, which is innovation. So next year, we plan on having the most ever innovate models we've ever produced because mallets are... 35, 40% of what consumers are buying nowadays versus blades. Um, so it plays a huge, huge part. And by us having access to the best players in the world, the Kuchers, the Kokraks, the Fitzpatricks, the Fred Couples, uh, Celine Boutier, who's been on fire recently, won the Evian. Yeah, crazy. Crazy with our putter. Um, we talk to all those players and get feedback and bring that back to engineering and bring it back to milling.
1: So that, that, that brings back to like a very interesting part of this is that you know we see this this trend, like you see trends, right? We see mallets and, and blades and all this stuff. How has How has it been evolving the way that you design putters? Like looking at the styles and I can think of like you know the Fred couple's blade and all of these different things. like are there trends that kind of ebb and flow when you see like the thinner mallets, or sorry, the thinner blades into the the larger mallet styles. Have you always it's kind of seen like there I always find it's just weird thing with 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 putters especially right because what i what i tend to tell golfers all the time and it's kind of the same with wedges which you guys also do it's very difficult to hit a 300 yard drive for any golfer let right. let, let alone a professional but to be able to hit or execute a shot from the sand or be able to execute a 10 foot putt and be successful at that it's just as easy for a 10 handicap to do that with the right technique and the right tools than it is for a tour player, whereas not everyone's going to be able to have the the skill or the technique or the speed or the strength to hit a 300-yard drive. So I think putter, putting really is that equalizer. So for you, how does it feel to be able to, you know, design for those tour players, but also bring that same, even the fitting element, because I want to talk about that here mm-hmm. with your studio, bringing that fitting element to players to show them what it means to be properly fit for a piece of equipment like wedges or a putter.
5: It's huge. I mean, there's there's so many people that, come in, that have come into our studio at Tinley Park and now will come into our studio here in Oak Brook that they leave the same day and they email us or text us a week to three weeks later and they say, I can't believe how many putts I'm making. Thank you so much. Because fitting is everything, right? When you walk into a store, a lot of the putters are 35 inches, and the lie is 70 and the loft is three, right? They come in here, they leave it 68, four, 67 to uh, 33 and a half, 36 and a half. So a putter, the putter is the most personal club in the bag. And it's also the club that you use the most times in golf. You use it 40% of your round, right? 40% yep. of your shots. So if there's one club that you should pay attention to, it's your putter. So and when you talk about the game's best players and trends, right? Thin top lines, thinner radiuses, wider mallets, right? We've seen a big trend in wider flange designs like our Queen B6, our BB28, um, our SS9, right? That's been a big trend as well. So we're always paying attention to that. And those players, again, you saw Matt here tonight. He knows his specs. He knows everything about his game. He's been fit a million times. But then on the converse side, there's players that have never been fit and they're all field players. So there's definitely two sides of it, but I would say for... The majority of amateur golfers, it pays dividends to get fed.
1: And you guys, which I I want to make sure that like people who are listening understand, like you guys use Quintic, which is a which is for those who don't know, it is a high speed camera system that basically delivers all of the same information that you would get from a GC Quad or a TrackMan or a la- basically any launch monitor for your putting by utilizing high speed camera systems and for yourselves, like, again, thinking back even a decade, how has that fitting process changed when you introduce these tools to say, look, you're launching at this, your face angles at this, this is how you're aiming at a dress. Like that, those processes have become almost, I say easier, but it allows your fitters as they go through that process with the golfer to really dial it in to a point where a couple of years ago, it really wasn't possible.
5: Right. I mean, we started our system with a a proprietary system with V1, with a four-camera system and a lie loft board, and we still use V1 now here in Oakbrook in both putter bays. And we also have Quintech, so we'll start people out the fitting with V1, which gives you a great visual. Quintech, if you throw at the wrong person, is going to scramble their brain. Right. (laughs) Yes. That's why. There's a lot
1: of information. There's There's a lot of
5: data. There's a lot of information, and. Our fitters do an excellent job of explaining that information. So we typically start everyone with V1, and then we validate that data with Quintech. Hey, this is why we chose it, and here's why. Look at your ball roll. Look at how the it goes end over end almost immediately. Look at your path of your stroke. Wow, well, we gave you more toe hang, and now look at your path or how we gave you less toe hang. So it has definitely evolved, again, starting with V1. We still love V1 and using that for The visual guide, people that are very visual, and then for the data nerds, we go to Quintech.
1: I think that's the other part of this too, which which applies to putting, but also just the full swing of things, especially again, you guys do wedges, which is very important when we talk about bounce, grind, creating spin, creating all these different elements that allow someone to perform, even when it comes to gapping as well. But the ability to communicate, and I think that's what you guys do really well, I've seen that to me is the is the the telltale sign of a great fitter. Anyone can look at numbers and give someone a product, mm-hmm. but to be able to communicate, I mean, I've been out on tour, talked to Dave, and just to like have him explain to golfers like what a putter is designed to do, I think, is a huge part of the process. And you guys have a a whole line of putters. So let's let's talk about the line really quick, the line and kind of how they are segmented for each player.
5: Yeah, so in our line, we have the the Studio Stock Series and the Queen Bee Series, which were brand new for this year. The Queen Bee Series is very elegant, very charming, very refined. They're, they're, they're just gorgeous finishes on the putters, and they have our uh, mini honeycomb face milling, which is a more firm face and classic Bette right? You have our Studio Stock Series, which is more tour-inspired, right? You have tighter top lines. You have thinner radiuses out on the heel and the shoulders, Uh, the face millings are roll control face milling, which was directly inspired from Matt Fitzpatrick's face on his putter. Um, great, great heads in the BB series is classic Bettinardi. That's been the the series that's been around since 1999, more traditional, your BB one, your BB eight, your classic heel toe answer, uh, weighted blades mallet style. And then you go into the innovate line, which stands for innovation. So you have your high MOI style your stainless front piece, your aluminum backs. So you're able to get creative with weight displacement and CG. Um, so in our line, I think we have 23 SKUs right now. We feel like there's something for everybody in terms of uh, head style, in terms of feel off the putter head, in terms of weight, the putter's weight from 350 to 362. Uh, in terms of finish, there's, there, there's options for everybody. So again, come in and get fit. Go check out one of our retailers. Go see them. Go get fit. But again, if you're here in Chicago... Or want to make a trip to Studio B, we're here and we'll dial you in.
1: So, the last question I have for you, Sam, and I again, I really appreciate your time. What, with all of the access to all of these putters and all this technology, what are you using right now?
5: Uh, I just switched putters two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I was using a uh, SS16 counterbalance putter. It was 400 grams, it was 38 inches from February until sunday and i missed a short putt last week and it made me start thinking because i've been using armlock for nine years so i went back to our studio stock three armlock putter and it feels good so we'll give it a go for a little bit the problem like you said is it's like a kid in a candy store i have access to too much so it's nice to be able to stick with that same head same look for as long as i can
1: well as, as a guy who builds golf clubs <laughs> let me tell you there's a lot of clubs kicking around my shop sitting on my bench all the time and i keep thinking to myself I wonder if, if if I just like switch this little spec, or if I change this hosel setting, maybe I'll get that like few extra yards to get the descent angle. Always, and I think about that with putters <laughs> all the time, where it's like, you know, if I if I just like maybe I get a couple more degrees of toe hang, I'll get I'll get the roll better, I'll get lined up better. And I always think that's like, it's that weird thing where you where too much access creates like too much confusion, but I think that's where at the end of the day paralysis
5: by analysis. Exactly, and yes, that's,
1: that's where fitting and having that that other eye that's going to help you really like. Again, for the consumers out there, I think that's where it's really helpful to have that extra person to, to guide you through that process because at the end of the day, if, if you're if you're aligning better, you feel confident in the putter that you're using, you're going to make more putts and that's the most important thing. Well, you just
5: mentioned the word confidence. That's how we start every fitting is we say, find a putter that looks good to you, right? And then we'll put them on our system and invalidate the data. Hey, this, this blade, this BB1 looks perfect, but it's not for you. Why don't you try a mallet? Oh, okay right so if people are confident in what they're looking down at they're naturally going to make more putts
1: i've got that's a that's a great piece of advice to finish on sam thanks so much for Thank having you us, ryan having us here at, at the new studio in oakbrook and uh, again i really appreciate your time for anyone who's, who's interested remember you can check it out go to bednardi.com. you can book fittings you can come in you can just come by the, the retail space it's a great place to check out. It. it's beautiful there's all whether you just want to you want a head cover a sweatshirt a belt a keychain there's all kinds of stuff, everything from Benton here, and there's so much to choose from. What, Actually, what's your favorite piece in the store?
5: Oh, favorite piece in the store, I love the custom room. I love what we did in the custom room. We've been making custom putters for, I would say, the last eight years, and it's always been through email, through phone, writing every information down. Now I feel like it's like going into a Ferrari store and designing your own Ferrari, except for a putter or a wedge or one of our milled accessories. You can see every piece on the wall of what finishes are available, what necks are available if I want a weld neck, what grips, what shafts, uh, what face milling. So I think that's my favorite piece. I know it's not one product, but that's my favorite aspect of the store. What's not to love about, I mean, everything because I think it just turned out amazing. But uh, the, the custom room to me is, is unbelievable. And, and, and again,
1: I want to say credit to your, to your mom I do better. have
5: to give a shout out to my mom, the Queen Bee. She did a great part in designing the store uh, in terms of the finishes and the look and the feel. And again, my dad's inspiration and my inspiration. But taking our ideas in terms of we knew what the flow was, we knew what we needed in our business, and she took it to life. So big shout out to Ann Bettnardi. So again, if you're in if you're in the Oak Creek area, you're in
1: the Chicago area, come by, check it out, Sam. Thank you much for your time. And everybody, if you get a chance, be sure to check it out. Thanks thank so you, much.
0: Ryan. Appreciate it and thank you again to sam for the time as always if you want more gear goodness check us out on social media we are at fully underscore equipped on twitter and at Fully equipped golf on instagram and if you want to leave a voicemail for the newly minted fully equipped hotline that phone number is 602-935-4974 that'll do it for episode 206 of fully equipped thanks as all for listening